Nick, thank you. Thank you very much. Wednesday, look at the haze in the room. Man, the choir, the choir, they killed it. And so, you know, Ellington and Tawana, the Porters, uh, we've been we've been together for my goodness all through the '90s, and then I took five years, went to uh, Michigan, then in 2005 went back to Sacramento, and then up until 2017, Ellington and his brother Takoy, uh, the Porter brothers, um, um, just own that whole region when it comes to gospel and to choirs and music and great leaders. And so Ellington and I have been working together closely for a decade before we came here. So when I see what's going on, I just smile real big and go like, you still haven't seen it. We got to show them clips of the MLK choir one of these times, just to let them see a little bit of that. And Tawana, man, it's always wonderful to have you here today. I got some friends from China that are here today. Uh, we have one of our Assemblies of God missionary families, uh, the Kuang family. I've known them for many, many years. Um, they minister in China. They were in Thailand on a retreat last week, and the coronavirus has hit China, and all of our missionaries in that area have been evacuated. And here they are. Literally, they flew here because their son is looking at coming here. And, but uh, they didn't have any cold clothes whatsoever, man. They were in tropical Thailand on vacation and had no warm clothes whatsoever. And so they're here. But the whole Kwong family, would you guys stand up real quick? Let's welcome our friends from China. Great people, great people. <coughs> All righty. Now... I want to take care of a little housekeeping for just a moment. First of all, you guys are the best. Yesterday, though, the speaker at about 11.38, some just try to always, like, if you got to go, make it like 11.40. Uh, that we tell the speaker that everybody will be kind of settled till 11.40. And then the rapture can take place, whatever you guys got to go. <laughs> Dude, I know some of you have, a, you've got to go somewhere quick and go stand somewhere. Uh, so I got to go there and stand. And so we'll just stand here. Um, so... But we'll always try to be sensitive to that. But um, speaking of standing, I, I, try to stay in your seat when I'm about to tell you. First of all, you know, I became the leader of the school, serving the school a couple years ago. And North Central is unbelievable. It's, it's turning 90 this next year, 90 years old. And when you think about in this particular role, only seven people have been presidents in 90 years. It's just it's unbelievable that there's been so few presidents um, of this school and just that continuity. But when you uh, come to serve at a organization, and maybe one of these days we'll take a chapel and unpack um, the experience of becoming the leader of an institution and how um, that has affected me personally and how you have affected me and how hopefully I'm affecting you. And just kind of maybe we can talk about how how you do that in life when you take over something. Because many of you are going to go into churches, businesses, leadership uh, settings around the world in which you're going to inherit something. And how do you lead? Uh, what was my thinking process and all that? And how the Lord is, has helped us uh, through this process. Well, you still you make a lot of discoveries along the way. And at the end of the day, if you're going to run a successful university, uh, you have to have internet 
So. I know. So. In the, in the interview processes, as I was understanding, you see the books, you see the finances, you meet the wonderful faculty and staff. But I was not given a tour of the IT equipment. They didn't take me into that room. We have a great IT staff. Well, the, the, the fact of the matter is the equipment, uh, much of it is aging or aged out. So we finally had a wonderful top tier outside personal, because you know sometimes, I'm, I'm guilty of this, like, hey, I know someone in my church that, and you, you, you can have the friend from church look at stuff. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, okay, no more friends from church. <clears throat> um, let's, let's get some folk that can help us understand what on earth is going on with this ridiculous internet. So. So that happened. How many like where this sermon is headed? <laughs> so that happened. <clears throat> and we got our feedback. And I want to show you a picture. If we could put the pictures up here. So on your left is our current system. Okay? <laughs> this is how many systems were configured you know, back in the 1900s or just shortly after the 1900s into the new millennium. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that system. That was a breakthrough system. But the breakthrough system became the breakdown system with time. And so the problem with system to your left, the blue system, is that if anything goes wrong in a multiplicity of areas, the whole system shuts down. So, so the blue is now moving to the green or the blue-green, to your right. So say with me, current and wrong, future correct resilient. So we had a firm that uh, just installed all of the high-speed internet systems and backup systems for the Minneapolis airport and have done uh, many great institutions, uh, Christian and non-Christian uh, institutions, if there's such a thing uh, as that. But the system on the left, your, your right, my left, is <coughs> what we're building. So we have just invested, and I usually don't bring stuff like this, but you need to know this. Um, we've just invested $800,000. That's a lot of money, $800,000 to build new firewalls, purchase new switches, and to create a system that if something goes wrong over here on the left side of this model, the entire backup system, an identical system, already exists to catch any fault or flaw so the system doesn't stop working. So that is the hope. The firewalls were put in today and... Um, the system is being installed as we speak over the next several weeks 
Uh, it's not perfect yet. So if it goes out during chapel, it's underway. But this is a significant and meaningful and right investment uh, into you, into us, uh, so that we can soar. And all schools go through this, okay? It's, this is nothing unique to North Central. It's just that we're getting our infrastructure uh, ready and present uh, for a great, great future. Now we should sing the hallelujah song. Uh, I mean, I'd be like, hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. All righty. Coffee, internet, and food. That's basically how you run a university right there. So we got to, we're getting there, we're getting there, we're getting there. So beautiful. Thank you guys for everything. All righty, let's stand together. We're going to read some scripture out of Zechariah. Man, you're excited about Minor Prophet Zechariah. It's amazing how engaged everybody is. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. All righty. Zechariah is the second uh, to last book of the Old Testament. Minor Prophet. Um, not minor, be, they're not named minor because of importance of message. It's only minor because of the size of the books, as opposed to major prophets, which had just more inspired volume uh, linked to the book. So it's a minor prophet. Um, he started prophesying when he was a young man. The scripture says in chapter two, the angel of the Lord gave the young man, Zechariah. Contemporary of Haggai, I'll, I'll frame it a little bit more in a moment on when he said what he said, but I just want to read a few verses while we're standing together. It says, on December 7th of the fourth year of the king, Darius's reign, and this has been the shift from Babylon to the Medo-Persian Empire. Um, the 70 years of captivity ended. Uh, the decree to return to Jerusalem and build the wall and the temple has been given. There is three entourages over a several year period that returned from Babylon. The first one was led by a, a common name in the Bible named Zerubbabel. And then there was a priest that came 11 years later named Ezra because the spiritual decline, not just the physical building of the wall, was uh, just not going the way that they hoped. So they needed a moral, spiritual revival. Ezra led that. I mentioned that in chapel last week. Um, and then there was a third envoy led by Nehemiah. And then Nehemiah jump-started the completion of the wall in 52 days, which had basically been delayed for some 90 years. It, it, was, a, it was a tough uh, road to get everything back in place. And so um, Zechariah is prophesying. He's been back home for 20 years. So around 538 B.C., he returned. And so this is about 518 uh, BC, so we're going backwards. Zechariah has been back in Israel for 20 years now. He's gone from a young man to a solid middle-aged prophet at this point in time, seasoned prophet. And he is <coughs> lending the word of the Lord to the people of Israel. It says on December 7th uh, of the fourth year of King Darius's reign, another message came to Zechariah from the Lord. The people of Bethel had sent, say this with me, Sharizar. It's a, it, it, it's, it's a Hebrew word that kind of just, it just doesn't end a little bit, even though there's a nice R. There's, any Hebrew scholars been working on your Hebrew in the room? Let me see your hand. Okay. You, you can come coach me after 
chapel on that one, but it's nothing like the next one. And reggae memelech, it just kind of goes forever too. I always listen to my little, my little uh, uh, speaker for my Hebrew words and uh, over and over again. So tough pronunciations. This envoy, along with their attendants, uh, came to seek the Lord's favor. They were asked this question of the prophets and the priests of the temple of the Lord of heaven's army. Should we continue to mourn and fast each summer on the anniversary of the temple's destruction as we have done for so many years? So 90 years ago, 70 of which were spent in Babylon, but 90 years ago, 606-ish, or 606, there was the destruction um, over this 20-year siege that started and every year they would mourn on that anniversary date. Now they've been back for 20 years, back home, and they're rebuilding, and they're saying, do we still have to do this after 90 years? Next, next verse, if you will. The Lord of heaven's army sent this message in reply. Say to all your people and to your priest, during these 70 years of exile, when you fasted and mourned in the summer and the early autumn, was it really for me that you were fasting? And even now in your holy festivals, are you eating and drinking just to please yourself? Isn't this the same message the Lord proclaimed through the prophets in years past when Jerusalem and the towns of Judah were bustling with people? And the Negev and the foothills of Judah were well populated. So whether captivity or prosperity, it all kind of ended up the same. One didn't jumpstart the other. People that were desperate for God and suffering came out of that suffering, they cried out to God, and blessing came, and it brought great praise, but then they kind of ended back up in complacency. People that were in blessing then went through adversity, it made them desperate for God, but then they also ended up in complacency. So the path isn't prosperity out of adversity or adversity out of prosperity. There's something deeper going on because both spectrums had created repetition and complacency. It said, then this message came to Zechariah from the Lord. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Judge fairly and show mercy and kindness to one another. Do not oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, and the poor, and do not scheme against each other. Your ancestors refused to listen to this message. They stubbornly turned away and put their fingers in their ears. It's a great image of these fingers in the ears. I don't want to hear it. La, 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 la. They put their fingers in their ears to keep from hearing. <coughs> they made their hearts as hard as stone so they could not hear the instruction or the messages that the Lord of Heaven's armies had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets. That is why the Lord of Heaven's armies was so angry with them. Don't think that God can't get angry with me. Angry with you. Angry with us. This whole concept that God doesn't get angry at us or you, come on. It's all through the Bible. Read it. I'm convinced that most people on Facebook have never read their Bible. They give these little quips and ideas, but that's not what the Bible says. So let's read this. Since they refused to listen when I called to them, I would not listen when they called to me. This whole idea that just because I finally asked God for something that he's obligated to listen to me, that's not what the scripture teaches. The prerequisite is that I'm listening to him. And here's the dilemma of college because we're all trying to find our voice. When really first comes the ear, then the voice. The voice doesn't precipitate the ear. 
And so it says, you're not listening to me. This says, as with the whirlwind, I scattered them from among the distant nations where they lived as strangers. Their land became so desolate that no one even traveled through it. They turned their pleasant land into a desert. Now, this is a positive word. I want to give it to you, but you can be seated. You can be seated here. So <coughs> Zechariah <coughs> is prophesying at a low point of hope. Zechariah is kind of a mini book of Isaiah. It points us to the messianic promise and coming and hope of Christ. Zechariah is filled with many specifics. It details some of the immediate concerns and frames it in the larger eschatological out. You did that well, say it. Eschatological. Beautiful, he did it, eschatological. Concerns of, about the future. So the local scene, the local scene matters, but it informs us about the future, the larger picture of what the Lord is doing. There could be clues. There could be things happening locally in your scene that really foreshadow the things to come, but the people were not spiritually perceptive to that foreshadowing. They were just immersed in their local, their local scene. So Zechariah is seeking to answer the question of the initial envoy. Should we keep remembering with fasting and prayer the destruction of the temple? We've been doing this now literally for 90 years. Is it still worth it? It's lost its impact. And we all are involved in spiritual events that mattered a great deal at one time, but they've lost their vitality. It's a legit question. We've been back for 20 years now. Do we still have to do, get the committee together and get the budget together and put on the event of the fasting and the autumn for the destruction of the Temple 90? We're back here 20 years. Is it really vital? And then Zechariah says, you're not asking the right question of the Lord or of me. And then he asks this question that I ask of myself. We're always trying to find out the will of God, the will of God. It's just God's will, my will, God's will, my will. You know, and then when the Lord speaks in extended paragraphs and grammar to people in the Bible, it's shocking to me. Like, you're carrying on, then the Lord said, in this detailed, I'm just trying to figure out if it's a no, yes, no, no. Is that a yes or a yo? I'm trying to figure out no and yes. And they're getting whole essays from the Lord. So Zachariah asks a question that we're not asking anymore. Is what your motivation has morphed into over time? Because here's the risk of the Christian faith. Is that it can start wonderful, but over time, the motivations morph into something else, but you can still do all of the same things that looked like what you were doing when your motivation was different. This internal drive and reasoning and the great why gets lost, but I can still lift up my hands. I can still sing praise. I can still preach. I can still lead. I can still pray for you. And you have no clue that something has been lost or shifted in your heart. So Zachariah asks a question. This is a hard question. Are you doing all this for the Lord's pleasure or your pleasure? Well, 
What are we supposed to do with that question? Seriously, I'm asking a, a, a serious question. I've wrestled with this. Lord, how am I supposed to know if this is your pleasure or my pleasure? I mean, that just seems so blurred and vague. Like, of course I'm doing it for you, and, but I'm enjoying it. So is that my pleasure? I'm enjoying speaking to the college today. I love you. Is this for my pleasure? Or am I doing this for the Lord's pleasure? It's a very difficult question, but one that I've been asking in this last month. Beginning of the year, I came across the text. It's been just knocking on my heart. I've taught this one time in a church, and this is the second time I've shared this passage. But I've been asking the Lord in 2020, Lord, is this for my pleasure or is this for your pleasure? And I don't even know how to tell the difference, Lord. How do I tell the difference between your pleasure and my pleasure? You're giving me the desires of my heart, Lord. I feel exhilarated to serve. I'm enjoying this moment. Am I robbing your pleasure, Lord? So is it, is it really pleasure for pleasure? And then the Lord help me see the diagnostic question. Put the verse back up there if you can. Or if you can't. Maybe the internet is down. I don't know. It says, Then this message came to Zechariah from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies says. He says, To judge fairly, go to the next verse, the previous verse, and the previous one before that. There we go. Go to the next verse. What, what's wrong? Next verse. Okay. Then this message came to, <coughs> to Zechariah from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's army says, judge fairly. So what brings pl pleasure to the Lord may not in that moment bring pleasure to me because I'm trying to diagnose my pleasure and his pleasure and finding these expressions that are pleasurable to both of us at the same time. Because if I judge fairly and I show mercy and kindness to another, if I don't oppress widows, orphans, foreigners, or the poor, and don't scheme against each other, there's really nothing pleasurable in, for me in those behaviors. There's something sacrificial in there. And in so doing, a deeper contentment fills my soul than is this surface pleasure that touch and taste create in my life. There's a deeper thing going on where when I step back, I feel a contentment and a pleasure because I've brought things or done things that are pleasing to him. And so I've been trying to really understand this pleasure question. Does this please God or is this all about my own pleasure and finding things that make me fly and my passion and all of that, those, that language of, of our generation that we've all created together? He said, you need to make certain, if you have a disdain for the world or a lack of attunement to, to the world that is around you in your atmosphere, not your culture, but your atmosphere, you'll never get to culture if you neglect atmosphere. Atmosphere is what's going on right around you. Some people go, I want to change culture, I want to change culture, going to change the culture, but you're horrible at atmosphere. Treat people poorly, overlook their need, talk about yourself all day long. 
you have a rotten atmosphere in your attempt to go change culture. You got to be very aware of your atmosphere. And if you win the atmosphere, you'll have a shot at impacting the culture. And so he's saying right around you in your immediate scenery is those that are oppressed and hurting and poor and feeling uninvited. And you are suing one another, scheming to succeed at another's expense. This is your behaviors while you're fasting and praying. So that's what's incongruent to the Lord. That's why the 90 years, this flame of passion that started the festival has died over nine decades. Like we're doing this stuff, but we don't feel it. It's not alive in my heart. So maybe we shouldn't do it anymore. And the Lord does not tell them to stop fasting and to cease from the festival. He just asks them to probe a little bit deeper, come into a different kind of awareness um, that you have allowed than the one you've allowed to emerge in your life and maybe something powerful and new. And then he likens it to this. You're really no different than your ancestors. Now watch his friends. <laughs> you know, I love, I'm 57. I was, I was 27 about 27 minutes ago. It just really screams by, screams by. I didn't say it, but I've heard people say, the days are long, the years are fast, and it is very true. And you look back and you go, what just happened? I just did a funeral on Monday in Sacramento for a precious lady that passed away. We flew home, did the funeral, came right back. And I'm around all these people that have been part of my prior setting from two settings. And you just kind of look at each other. My old worship leader was up there, uh, Darnisha. She's in Florida now. And I'm on the front row. I'm back in my seat where I was a pastor. And the worship leader's back up there. And we are just having just a, like a homecoming reunion. All these weird touches and feels are going on. You do that a lot the older you become. And I'm kind of looking at the speed of my life. But throughout my growing up, one of the most painful things that anybody could ever say is you're just like your dad. Yeah. Or you, you look like your dad. Don't tell me that. I don't want to hear that. Uh, I love my dad, but I don't want to look like him. <laughs> anybody want to look like their dad? Hopefully my sons. Uh, but, I, but that's for something else. But anyway... I don't appreciate being likened to the ancestor. And he said, your ancestors, there's a clue. Your local scene gives us a clue. And the clue was, is that the ancestors found their voice, but they lost their ear and they could not live under instruction. And what happened was it literally means the turning of, they turned a shoulder and plugged their ears. If I really had to see an image that is battling against all of us in this day and age, it's we're sticking our fingers in our ears because we just simply don't want to hear it for a variety of reasons. Because the social cost of following that truth is one I'm not willing to pay right now. I don't want to hear this. So here's my simple instruction to us. Okay? The issue isn't that you're doing festivals and fasting like you have before and, and it's all like, become dry. It's not the issue. It's not the event. Okay. It's something deeper. It's that we have put our fingers. We're not hearing 
our instructions. And he said this, this is powerful. I don't want us to miss this in the text. This is just like what happened to Israel in Jerusalem when it was bustling. And it was, it was hot to live there and awesome. And they became complacent. And now you've come out of captivity and you've become complacent. So it doesn't matter your starting point, which direction jumpstarts your spiritual growth. Things are great. Oh, but I'm complacent. I'm going through a trial. Now I'm thinking about God. Or man, I've just been in this low place and God just did something good. Now I think grace has pulled me this way. Testing is, you can become complacent in either direction. Okay. So don't long for that opposite thing to jumpstart your spiritual faith as though that will be the thing that gives you sustain. It'll always just have the energy that it always had. It's hearing the instruction of the Lord. It's when we read our Bibles, we open the page, but we take our fingers out of our ears and we're listening and we're not turning the golden opportunity. He says, you've turned your pasture into a desert. I would say for all of our lives, and we're done here, let's all stand, is that we all are sitting in a moment of opportunity and possibility in this room. I am, you are. Um, it's, it's a great moment. Our pasture is flourishing. I don't want to turn my pasture into a desert. I don't want to turn possibility and opportunity into a barren land because I simply don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear what the Bible says about that topic. I don't want to hear what Jesus said about that. I don't want to hear what he's calling me to. I just want to be, go to festivals and have them pop and feel excited at the festival. It's about this. So let's pray this way. Lord, help me, first of all, take my fingers out of my ears. When I read my Bible today, when I hear teaching, Lord, let me pull my fingers out of my ears. I want to hear this. I don't want to turn a shoulder to it. And then, Lord, I pray that you would give me my ear, Lord, as well as my voice to this generation. Because if we're not hearing what the Lord wants us to do, it's crazy. Uh, just, this is 45 seconds. You know the story in the New Testament when Peter's asleep, Jesus is praying for that three-hour period. He comes back, he keeps checking on his disciples. And Peter and John are sleeping. Their eyes are heavy, man. It's the middle of the night. And they, can't, they keep falling asleep. Jesus says, watch and pray, watch and pray, watch and pray. For the hour's late, watch and pray. He's giving them instruction. They're like, because they're sleepy. Then Jesus says, um, the betrayers came, the army came to arrest him. And it says that for the hour's late, watch and pray, and that you may not yield to temptation. But he's sleeping. So then the dude comes in with, um, to arrest Jesus. All of a sudden, flying from off stage, full on awake, is Zorro, Peter. He comes flying like a superhero, lops off the dude's ear. Ten seconds ago, you're like, turn off the line. But something about fighting with swords Wide awake, wide awake, woo! But Jesus said, put your sword away. I already told you this isn't how we're fighting. But because he had his finger in his ear, 
he didn't know what the Lord was doing in that moment. So he defaulted to his sword. Because it's like when people are like, the church are just like, I can't hear what you guys preaching. Like, man, I used to get so insecure because people are like, oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> barely stay awake, man, during church, man. They get up, walk out of church. Someone in the lobby's gossiping about somebody, like, oh, totally, I'm totally, you know, they're like Peter, man, so I'm wide awake now. Now I'm awake. We're talking bad about people. Woo! Love church. You just slept through the whole stinking sermon. But you get to gossip in the lobby. Man, you're every... <laughs> that was Peter. Sleeping through the teaching. And then he comes to life and tries to behave all Christian. And has no idea what Jesus is doing. We can go to festivals, we can fast, but if our fingers are in our ears, okay, the world's going to activate us, not what Jesus is teaching us or saying to us. Father, I thank you today. What a great school, God. What a great place. Jesus, we just asked, Lord, on this Wednesday afternoon, <coughs> For a fresh touch from heaven, Jesus, upon this house. Jesus, we are hungry for you, Lord, right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I know some have got to go, but if you don't have to go quite yet, quite yet, and you just want to seal the deal and say, Lord, I don't want my fingers in my ears, God. I don't want my pasture to turn to a desert. I just want you to step out of your seat. Just come and stand for a moment. Say, Lord, I want to seal the deal. I'm, I'm coveting with you. I'm, I'm not putting my fingers in my ears, Lord. It's not the festival, the fasting. It's not the routine that's the problem. It said, I'm trying to do this with my fingers in my ear gone. Jesus, we love you. We praise you. We honor you. We glorify you. Wednesdays, we keep this place open for prayer. And so we're going to keep the room open for prayer. Stay five minutes. If you can stay till 1230, great. Um, but this is the house of prayer right now. We love you, man. Carry the word of God in your heart. Keep up on your homework. If you're struggling, ask for help. Please ask for help. We are here for you. We love you. Altars are open. Let's worship and pray.